As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce the Plus CBD Relief line of soft gels. Plus CBD Relief is the ideal way to help promote a healthy inflammatory response. Plus CBD Relief is doctor-formulated with recovery-supporting ingredients, including CBD, CBDA, and Levagen plus PEA. Relief soft gels help address minor everyday soreness, support joint function, and encourage recovery following strenuous activity. All Plus CBD products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. And with a 90-day satisfaction guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's Relief Soft Gels. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today, we're going to take a look at the roots of addiction. And yes, there are many, many forms of addiction. America is an addicted society. Uh, Today, we're going to take a deep dive on that subject with an expert on addiction. She's Diane Schwartz. Uh, She is co-owner of Realization Center the oldest and largest outpatient addiction treatment centers in both Manhattan and Brooklyn. In addition to being the administrative director and CFO, Diane is the creator and director of the Food Addiction Treatment Program and the education series that Diane presents weekly to the clients at Realization Center became the basis for her new book, which is entitled The Big Book of True Recovery and the website is thebigbookoftruerecovery.com. Uh, Diane, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is something I never planned out, but I'm, I'm so excited to be here and talking about this because it's my passion. It's my, I love recovery. I think people should be introduced to the concept of what addiction is because they struggle so much with their behaviors, particularly around eating, and are so unhappy with their bodies and their energy and brain function, and not having it connected to really what's generating it. Indeed. And and this is actually something that uh, we've known each other for a long time, and we've had many uh, impassioned conversations about this. Uh, exchanging ideas, and we're absolutely on the same wavelength when it comes to this. Yes. And it, it's actually the central insight of the book. Uh, the book, it, 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 you know, does talk about food addiction, but it's not merely for people with uh, anorexia and bulimia. You know, people who uh, throw up after meals or people who become uh, emaciated because they're starving themselves. Uh, it actually has a much broader implication. And it, 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 the suggestion in the book, and I totally agree with this is that food addictions, and particularly carbohydrate addictions, uh, are the linchpin of virtually all the other addictions. And you perhaps, you know, before we get into that, uh, tell us a little bit about your personal journey, you know, because you have personal insights uh, having overcome your own addictions. Well, when I was 
in my mid-teens, I went to the doctor at, at my request to my mom because I was so unhappy with my size. And I thought if I could fix the outsides, I would feel better about who I was. And so he prescribed, in those years, uh, Dexedrine, Dexamil, which were amphetamines. And uh, I loved them. <laughs> they allowed me to move the furniture and killed my appetite. And I felt powerful. And I could deal with my mother's alcoholism. And that launched me into 20-year addiction to amphetamines. Eventually, actually moving to Spain because I could no longer get them in this country. <laughs> uh, right, you could just walk into the old uh, uh, pharmacia over there and just uh, lay down some uh, some euros and, and buy them, or, or whatever was the currency then. Uh, so, uh, so, go ahead. Living there, I, I crashed and burned because eventually they stopped working, and I became very bankrupt emotionally, physically, spiritually. And came back here, I was a mess, and I was introduced, coincidentally, I was introduced to a 12-step program for food, for eating, and I saw them having the answer. They didn't, they didn't, the way I saw it initially was having the answer, but I, I couldn't connect with the answer because I couldn't stop binging. I couldn't, I couldn't get control of my appetite. And I went to meetings, a lot of meetings. Inspired from, from with a couple of sponsors, and eventually uh, I learned that it was biochemical. Eventually, I learned that my my struggle had to do with biochemistry, and that there were certain substances that I was trying to have and control, but failed. And which made me feel terrible about myself. The whole thing made me feel terrible about myself. And then I learned that these substances were the ones that were triggering and making me powerless. It's just like an alcoholic. So everybody, I think, accepts that an alcoholic, once they take one drink, they go on for more because they can't control it. There's something in their brain. Well, it's exactly the same with food refined carbs with a list of, of substances that trigger brain chemistry but one of the things that we've learned now um, the American Society of Addiction Medicine in 2011 so wonderfully put together a definition of addiction which hadn't been in place before as I said people talked about addiction in behavioral terms so now when we have a, uh, a document that taking an understanding of um, from from um, um, neural technology, where they've been looking at the brain, doing all these studies, mm -hmm. they know that there's a part of the brain that's responsible for people like myself not having the ability to experience satiety when we take in these dopamine-triggering substances. And then it's just, I want more. So that was good. That was great. I loved it. No, give me more. Give me more. And you have no control. And it's the concept that these substances are the culprits, are the triggers to getting control of something that's just uncontrollable. You really can't control your biology. So we understand this as biological and coming to terms and peace and surrender to the fact that these substances will always keep you triggered, wanting more. That they have to not be in your in your palace anymore. The palace you're trying to decorate for your life. Uh, 
they need to be banished and learning how to eat in a way that normalizes blood sugar. And when you don't have cravings, because you're not taking in these triggers, you start to experience a life beyond your wildest dreams. So that is what happened to me. Indeed. And, and I feel very compelled. I, I love talking about it. Uh, I love educating about it because so many of the clients, when they hear this, and these are clients who have struggled with drug relapse, alcohol relapses their entire lives, losing so much of their lifetime. And when they start hearing about the idea that maybe they're taking in other triggering substances that don't allow them to say enough and bring them to another place where if life is very difficult at that time, a candy bar may not satisfy their craving. And so that candy bar uh, goes into a couple of candy bars or a soda or a juice or cigarettes or what have you. And then, and then they can stop. And if the bar is on the corner and the liquor store is down the street, oh, you relapsed. Yes. Well, what happened? I don't know. So that's the concept as to why people have so many relapses because they really never get clean. Mm -hmm. The treatment, the treatment world seems to only look at the alcohol and the drugs. Right. But these triggers are way more than that, as you referred to. It's sugar, flour, wheat, caffeine, munchy crunchy. Eating a lot of food triggers the desire to eat more. And this is not, I'm just a messenger. This is not something that I came up with. Science, the neuroscientists are very clear about there are so many studies and so much um, evidence that people, once they get triggered, and if they don't have this off switch, they don't have the ability to say that's enough because of brain chemistry and not ha and not having any off switch. Um, they're off to the races. The horse is up the barn. The train is up the station. Indeed, so, and having written the introduction to the book or the foreword, uh, yes. I note an experience that I had in medical school. During medical school, they wanted us to uh, have some familiarity with the subject of addiction, and so uh, they arranged for us to uh, sit into an AA meeting, to actually go to an AA meeting. And so I walked in, and I saw a bunch of individuals on folding chairs in a room. And, uh, you know, they hi said, hi, my name is John. I'm an alcoholic and so on. You know, the routine that they do in AA. Uh, but I noticed that there were huge coffee urns there. Everybody was uh, gulping high test, high octane coffee. There was a pall of cigarette smoke over the room. Uh, and there was a big pile of cookies on a platter mm -hmm. in on the table. And, and the idea was, okay, uh, you know, you need help because uh, alcoholism is your primary problem. And we're going to do something called risk reduction. You know, we're going to say, let, you know, let's satiate your other cravings while we focus on the main destructive life-threatening craving. But the problem is, is that a lot of underlying habits remained in place. And can you explain you know, the physiological mechanism that's at play there and, and why it's inadvisable to uh, achieve sobriety in that incomplete way? So there's a wonderful expression that's used in AA. Uh, it, it, it says, changing deck chairs on the Titanic. So 
people move out of one deck chair that's labeled alcohol and drugs, and oh, good, I escaped that one. I don't, you know, I'm I'm out of that deck chair. But oh, that one over there looks really nice. It's caffeine. It's nicotine. It's sugar. It's munchy crunchy, <laughs> and that helps me with my cravings. So um, that's that's what you saw, and that's what continues. What we're blessed to have received in 2011 was from the American Society of Addiction Medicine. And I think because of having the, the benefit of brain imaging technology, they finally came up with this wonderful definition that talked about, uh, in my, in my terms, it's the off switch, but in their terms, it's feedback circuitry. So there's a feedback mechanism in the reward circuit of the brain that allows people to experience, when they take a drink, some people can experience satiety. Gee, that was good. Thank you. No, I don't want... No, that glass of wine was enough. No, thank you. I just took a forkful of the of the dessert. No, I don't want the whole thing. So these are people who don't have addiction. I don't understand them. <laughs> when, you ask, when you ask an addict, um, do you understand your friends who you can go out to dinner with and they have uh, a little bit of beer or a little bit of wine or have a cocktail with them? They, they don't because that's not their experience. The experience of an addict who does, who has faulty feedback circuitry does not experience satiety. When they take in these substances, it's not, it's not an infinite list. It's a finite list, but it is a list of substances. So when they take it in, they get triggered and want more. The name of the name of addiction actually is more. Oh, gee, that was good. I want more because we don't have the ability to experience enoughness. That uh, satiety eludes us. So we want more, and we go the distance to get more. And that's when we see people overdosing, and we know about the celebrities who kept wanting more and more and more, and we know that they didn't have an off switch. We're talking about the Michael Jacksons and and uh, Amy Winehouses and, and Whitney Houston. Um, Philip, what was his name? Um, Philip... Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. So sad. They didn't mean to kill themselves, but their brain kept telling them, kept saying to them, you got to get more, you got to get more, I want more, I need more pleasure. So it, it hits the reward circuitry and eventually overrides it, and you die. Indeed, this is it. And, and the same thing is true with with the food. People eat until they can't breathe, and then they feel so terrible about themselves. And why did I do that? And what's wrong with me? And it's abuse, and you know it's abuse. You can't stop the abuse. And how do you stop? So that's what the book talks about. What about the, the roots of addiction? You mentioned that your mother was an alcoholic, which suggests, you know, a couple of routes. One, the genetic route, because we know that in families where there is depression, uh, alcoholism, drug addiction, or suicide, uh, there's a much higher incidence of addiction in the offspring, even if they stay away from the substance in question. Uh, uh, I don't believe you were ever had an inclination to, to overuse alcohol. You were not an alcoholic. It was more about food and, and medications, right, during your right, right, active right, phase. Right. Um, so what about the role of addiction? But also, uh, obviously, that has an impact on parenting and, you know, poor uh, parenting 
skills can uh, set the stage for uh, a need for gratification, right? Yes. So it starts so early. So mommy brings little precious baby to the pediatrician, gets the vaccination. Baby is so upset, in pain, uncomfortable. And pediatrician, in his caring, he gives little baby a lollipop. Mm -hmm. So this is the this is the introduction of the infant to the experience, pre-verbal, to the experience of having sugar as comforting, as soothing, as nurturing. And then mommy starts bringing baby out um, to go home, and she passes the reception desk, and on the receptionist desk, there's a little bowl of candy that she takes because she's in pain, because her baby's in pain. And then they go home, and there's grandma and mommy, and everybody wants to love little baby. And how do we love? We love with sugar flour, wheat, munchy crunchy. I made this for you. My darling, have this. You're <laughs> upset. So here's 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 a treat. Uh, candy. Here's some candy for you. So very early on, uh, very early age, uh, this little child is plied with sweets and these comforting foods that trigger brain chemistry, but also does something else. It interferes, because these substances that we're talking about interfere with blood sugar. So when baby's getting all these wonderful goodies, blood sugar is increasing and spiking, and then since the body can't sustain high glucose levels, it crashes. So this affects brain development. We know brain development doesn't, doesn't finish until you're in your mid to late 20s and during this time of in this family that everybody actually is using candy cake ice cream pizza munchy crunchy um blood sugar is doing a roller coaster which is affecting the ability of the brain to develop properly and if it has some predisposition to develop faulty feedback circuitry it's getting guaranteed that it can't develop functional feedback circuitry because of the roller coaster of blood sugar levels because of taking in all these refined cause. In the name of love and caring and soothing. And so this is the society we live in. Everybody's caught up with um, um, soothing themselves, comforting themselves with all these substances, which are addictive substances. And if we're talking about addiction, which we are in food, every other doorway, every other door is a dealer. And we look down or we have judgment against people who use drugs. But what are we doing? Uh, using food as a drug. Sugar is a drug. Sugar is, I know you agree with that. It's, it's not a food. <laughs> and it's has found, it's found its way into the whole food system that we believe is, you know, the little the honeybee and uh, Tony the Tiger and Cocoa Puffs and uh, Pop Tarts and all these things that what a good breakfast is. Jimmy Dean, he's a nice guy, but he, uh, he hasn't done nice things to the kids. And, and IHOP and so on. And you, also the nutritional deficiencies that I'm sure you're aware of, because uh, as I know you, you're a big supplement taker. 
the nutritional deficiencies that arise when you're on a poor diet affect brain chemistry and can undermine neurotransmitters. And, you know, that makes everything worse. So uh, Johnny can't learn. Johnny um, is learning disabled and maybe acts out, can't focus, can't concentrate, um, has tantrums. So I, I interspersed videos throughout the education series, and there's one video that I show. It's called, get it on, on uh, YouTube, it's called Sweet Suicide. And they start off showing this little boy, his name is Kevin, and he eats sugar cubes because he's given permission to do that. He's three years old. And you see with his little efficient body and a little efficient glucose metabolism, he gets a spike in, in his glucose because the sugar is basically glucose. <laughs> and he, in a playroom, he starts to pick up play blocks and he throws it to somebody, a woman who's cleaning up in the room. And, and then, and the next thing as he goes into crash, he starts having it what appears to be a tantrum he jumps up and down he starts crying and he puts his head on the table they put a puzzle for him to do he pushes it away i can i can i don't i won't i i, I don't want to i don't want to and and then he puts his head on the table and he's gone and a little pop-up on the screen says most parents would interpret this as a temper tantrum when in fact it was blood sugar just crashing and, and the solution might be to give him, uh, you know, a little candy bar. You know, he's hangry. So, uh, you know, soothe his distress by giving him something to eat, especially a sweet snack. My, my sense, this is what happens in households, millions of households every day. And if, if they interpret it as a temper tantrum, they may hit him and send him to his room. He doesn't know what happened. He doesn't know why he acted that way. He doesn't know why they're angry with him. And he gets scared. This is now abandonment. He gets scared because he doesn't know uh, whether or not they're going to take him back into the fold, if they're going to feed him again. So he's sort of devastated. And as, as I see this, he becomes potentially a future client of a treatment center like Realization Center. Hmm. Because clients that come in they come off the elevator. They come in with a core of shame. The core of shame says, I don't matter. I'm not important. I have no value. You have value. I'll defer to you. I don't know anything. So, and I've been abusing myself with drugs and alcohol, so I'm, you know, kind of worthless. And it's because they don't have shut-off switches. And it, I believe it started with the food, with having their brain development interfered with because of sugar, flour, wheat, and so on. And they're lost. They feel empty. They certainly feel less than. They don't feel like they belong anywhere. They felt like they didn't belong in their family. Um, there was a client who came from a family of seven. I'll never forget him. And he said uh, his father never paid attention to him, always ignored him, didn't didn't consider him and when they passed around a platter of food at the ta at the table and the father said Frank would you like some of this it was everything to him he felt noticed and cared about loved and acknowledged and validated 
And so now as we move into recovery to help him start detaching from those foods that represented all that caring and love, uh, what a challenge that is for him. Indeed. So the book is, and it's just out, The Big Book of True Recovery from Food Addiction and Beyond. And the website accompanying the book is thebigbookoftruerecovery.com. And what can people find on your website? Uh, information about your uh, videos, uh, links to YouTube, and so on? Yes, and some resources, um, some 12-step meeting connections, and um, to our website, which talks about food addiction treatment and what the recovery is about. And the Realization and what, Center. What has to be done? I'm sorry, the Realization Center, which uh, where you're the uh, creator and the director of the Food Addiction Treatment Program, uh, is located in both Manhattan and Brooklyn. And you want to give people a heads up on the Realization Center? It's the oldest and largest outpatient treatment program, as you, as you said in the introduction to me. Uh, it's a place we find caring. It's not an assembly line, not a factory, not a mill. People come in in so much trouble. They're, they're lost in so many different ways. They don't know who they are. Their sense of self doesn't exist. And they feel so much shame. And so it's the beginnings of recovery, which requires the attention to the behaviors first. You know, and people go to therapy to stop acting out with drugs and alcohol. And I always ask, has anyone ever succeeded with their therapy in putting down drugs and alcohol? Remember, no. Because nobody gets therapized out of addiction. Enormously and high failure rate, like so much recidivism. Well, because a therapist is going to look at your feelings. How did you feel when you did that? How did you feel after that? Um, and then we'll look at your thoughts and we'll look at, we'll look at your, and hopefully working out your feelings will help you change your behavior. That does not work. The model that needs and what our model is is the addiction model. You change behavior first. First, you put down the substances first. You put down the alcohol and drugs. And I work to help people understand and get educated about the food, always keeping them in, in trouble with cravings and blood sugar levels. So brain, brain function is interfered with as well as energy and all the things everybody wants to feel alive and feel vital. So behavior goes first. You put down behavior, insight follows. You can't figure things out, you can't have your brain with good judgment and good decision making and focus and concentration while you're still using any of these substances. They have to be put on the shelf. And then you need on top of that a lot of support to keep you from going back to them. Uh, one of the things that's said in AA is that an addict alone is in very bad company. <laughs> and one of the big challenges is to, is to get clients to go to meetings, get the support, connect, and you you join a community. It does take a village to, to have recovery. The drugs and alcohol, the food, so you can go and have a life and not have your life taken away with all these substances, and I did it again, and what's wrong with me, and I'll never get this, and I'm, I'm, I'm stupid, and I'm less than, and I'm lost, and uh, 
nobody likes me and I don't know how to do this. It it becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah. So, and so, congratulations, uh, Diane Schwartz, on the book, The Big Book of True Recovery from Food Addiction and Beyond. And the premise is that we're looking toward a broader definition of sobriety, not just, you know, individual substances, but a more comprehensive plan. And that's what uh, your book provides. Uh, when we return, uh, we'll share some uh, personal testimonials from some of your clients uh, who have achieved escape velocity from a lifetime of dependency on substances. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.